Good afternoon. It's one o'clock. I have an hour before my next class. I've still got a mountain of homework in front of me, and I still decided to do this. This is Aria Sains, a stressed, exasperatedly desperate sophomore, and welcome to Falling Sideways, a podcast discussing the rat race of high school, the future of education, and how we can design classes that encourage learning. If you think that school is like drinking out of a fire hose, this podcast is for you. Today, we are going to get the perspective of two teachers, actually my former teachers, who instruct both traditional classes as well as a project and mastery-based course. Mr. Samuel Vieira, who works for the Social Studies Department at Punahou School, along with Dr. Kayla Clapp, who works in the English Department. Together, they teach a course called Global Sustainability by Design. We are going to be talking a lot about competency-based grading and project-based learning, so I hope you learn those two terms by the end of this episode, and I can probably speak on and on about this and would probably do another episode about how it works, but I want to first describe my experience. Um, Before that, I would like us to make sure that we have an open mind because this is definitely a different topic and or a different learning system. And it may scare a lot of people in the beginning because they're not used to this. And I didn't even understand why it was important in the beginning either. But I hope you allow yourself to learn a few things and the misconceptions that tend to come along with this type of learning. So in eighth grade, I applied to be a part of a new English and social studies pilot program that incorporated project-based learning and competency grading. The course was less about busy work, like filling out worksheets all day and listening to lectures, and more about learning history and learning about current issues to change our present and future using projects that we create. So it was more about student-driven learning and creating projects and following through in them. So for many students, definitely myself included, it was hard not to think about grades. But after a month, we realized that we're not working hard for the grade, but because we are actually interested and passionate about the discussions that we're having in class, I learned that intelligence doesn't always depend on how fast you can fill out a test, but our ability to solve a real problem using skills that we learned. I think that Many students in high school find their courses to be boring, I would say, because they only prepare us for one thing. As we know, the college board exams, our classes prepare us for tests, not life. And because we can't connect these concepts to our lives, it becomes almost meaningless. Why not ask students to get into their own groups and construct a building that would most likely withstand an earthquake using geometry instead of making us memorize hundreds of theorems that we're just going to forget a week later or right after the test? You know, you get the idea. Anyway, I am so ready to speak with them. Hi. Hi, Aria. (laughs) So professional. I think before we start, can you guys explain a little bit about the course you both teach, you know, how you assess your students and what they learn, how the classes are set up? So Global Sustainability by Design, Place, Partnership, and Perspective is a transdisciplinary co-taught class using social studies skills and English skills to explore storytelling and the impact that storytelling has on our society in a variety of ways. This class is assessed using competencies. 
So competency-based learning, again, tries to incorporate real-world transdisciplinary skills to teach habits of mind and skills that can move beyond the classroom. So how is it set up differently than your other classes, kind of how it's taught? It's actually interesting. I think if you, because we had so many people come and observe this class last year, which you're well aware of, Aria. And depending on the day, teachers would come in and many times they would say, this looks like a traditional class, right? We would look at like historical case studies or pieces of literature and like rhetorical strategies. On a day-to-day basis, it should look like a normal class. There should be good teaching and good teaching methods. I don't think that part is that much different, but I think when we get to the assessment piece and what we're really asking students to do, that's where you see a pretty dramatic shift to kind of create like student-led, student-centered projects that are really aiming to solve problems. In order to do that, we have to develop skills that aren't necessarily given the appropriate amount of time in other classes. We spend a lot of time with you all on how to work together, create a mission, a vision, kind of solve the problems that naturally naturally arise when you work with others. Uh, Other things like to embrace challenge, communicate in different ways, not just in writing. Really the assessment piece and the focus on connecting your learning to the real world is what makes it different from any other class I've taught. GSD is a social studies and English course, but how were you able to design the course and the curriculum so that you can pick topics that still fit those requirements? I mean, we went through a number of topics and case studies to incorporate with the daily lessons. I think for a class like this that is so student-centered, there's so much room to play and change your daily curriculum based on student interests, based on what's happening in the outside world current events, political problems. It wasn't that we just randomly landed on a topic because it seemed like good history or social studies or English material. Like we really tried to consider what those individual students in the class wanted and what was happening in the world around us. And we kind of built the curriculum and projects around that. Yeah, the curriculum, it should not be very rigid. It has to be fluid. And we picked a couple historical events that we would help kind of inspire student projects. But the great thing about it is that content piece can be changed, interchanged. Like we currently have a new group of students. We can already see that they have different interests. So we're going to have to adjust the curriculum and the content to kind of meet them where they're at. I think for a lot of teachers, you know, that that can be not challenging, but kind of defeat the purpose of what they're doing. For us, it feels really liberating to know that we can choose whatever is going to help you all be successful to choose it accordingly, not like, oh, this is important to us. Therefore, it will be important to you. We cater it, their interests and their needs. When I was in your class, I was very curious about this, but how do you create assignments so that you know it will be meaningful and will teach students a lesson that won't be something they forget a week from then? I mean, there's no big secret here. When something is meaningful and personal and you have like an emotional connection to it, you're more likely to remember it. You know, when I think about what I remember from high school, I don't remember a single thing academically, not one, but I do remember social groups and dynamics. I remember sports, all the things that I cared about, like they're still with me to this day. Well, the idea is like, what if we could take that type of emotion, people's interests, people's passions? This is really important. You're figuring out who you are. And I think our approach has been to just tap into that. If we 
still make it personal when it comes to test time, you're going to remember it. So that works for any style of whatever type of pedagogy you're in. If kids don't care about it and it's not meaningful to them, they're not going to remember it. And I think that we also spent a good amount of time thinking about what skills we wanted you to leave with. And we just tried to backwards plan what's the most engaging way, most fun way to get you guys there. Because we wanted it to be fun for us too. If we weren't interested that it would be engaging for us, then why would it be engaging for you? It's not for us, it's for you. The dynamic between teacher and student, it's so different from a regular course. It's like you guys are more mentors and coaches instead of teachers in front of a room. But what have you learned as teachers from observing students who participated in this course? I mean, I'm glad you brought up the coaching aspect. I mean, we kind of had a fun like running joke as a class where after a while we made you guys call us coaches and Aria, you still do to this day. It's hysterical because everyone's like, that's your coach. <laughs> like, no, it's my teacher. I've seen this happen a couple of times when you say this, your friends just like, you know, got this like really curious look. Play on their sports? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We didn't think this going in, but we realized that once you guys kind of took over the class in terms of your passion projects on the side, it was our job to just make sure that you had everything you needed to be successful. If you're a sports coach and somebody can already do something well, you don't keep focusing on that, right? You look to the person's areas of weaknesses or the team's areas of weaknesses. You're like, okay, how can we supplant this and to make it better and to make it stronger? And so to get to the answer to your question. I still love teaching my other courses, but what I love most about the GSD is that coaching aspect. If the learning is coming from the teacher, my question always is, well, what are the students learning? And when you get a step back from that, like that teacher being the sage on the stage role and more of being a coach and you see the students learning, like coming from them, it's such a powerful experience. And it's really hard to go back to a more traditional system and approach. Just because of how collaborative the classes between Vera and myself, but also with us and the entire class of students, it's difficult to recreate that in a more traditional setting. It's not that it can't be done, but we spend a lot of time and effort curating that environment to get the best, most active, engaging projects from you guys. Just to add one more thing to that, I think we expected so much from you guys in terms of like bringing like a team in the classroom. And I mean, how can we tell you to do that if we can't do it ourselves as a teaching team? It's always interesting, like, oh, you know, they're doing a really good job of this. <laughs> do we need to do a better job of collab? You know what I mean? Whatever it is, it's we have to model something that we expect from students. And it's really enjoyable, but it's a fun challenge. And I think we both can see as teaching team, like our own personal and professional growth from this. Because when you're by yourself, you can just tell yourself, yeah, I'm fine. I'm great. But I think when you're in front of a group of students working as a team, it makes you really want to be better and see somebody else's strengths and then reassess your own, like your weaknesses and want to improve on them. A lot of students have their favorite assignments or at least a favorite project, but as a teacher or as people creating these assignments, what was your favorite one to watch your students create? Oh man, I, well, you guys are kind of a special bunch because you got to our final year project at Thanksgiving. So that kind of screwed us up a little bit in the best way possible. I think just creating the Goal 16 website as like a place to house all of your individual ideas. It was something so much bigger than what we had initially expected for you guys that it was just always a pleasant surprise to see 
how you were going to continue adding to that website for an entire semester. It was just incredible to see you guys figure out what was next, that we could kind of just step back and again, facilitate where you needed us, but you were driving the whole time. By November, or let's say January when we came back, I mean, our class looked like a little multimedia company. Everybody was doing their own part of the website based on their strengths and what they were interested in. That's what stands out. And I think it's what's hard to explain to other teachers about about this is you have to give up a lot in order to let the students kind of pursue what they need to pursue. And I think the learning happens from that. I mean, just look at some of the work that you did, the virus that broke the classroom. Nobody told you to do that. But we had talked about writing for a larger audience, writing with a purpose for change. That piece is still out there, read by a lot of my close friends and colleagues from around the world. Why can't students do that? Why can't art, music, dance, photography be used to address these sustainability goals? And so our favorite projects are the ones we didn't even design that you guys created. I think that's the spirit of the course. I was talking to some other teachers and they were saying how overwhelming this must be just to teach this new pilot course since you're in the unknown or you get a lot of attraction or attention. But um, what was the most difficult part of teaching this pilot course because it was not immediately accepted by everyone? That's such a good question and a really hard one to answer because we saw you guys on a daily basis doing these incredible, amazing things. And in our minds, it was so clear that this was a success. And I think one of the most challenging things from a teacher perspective or a professional perspective is trying to convince other people who aren't there on a daily basis that this is successful and needed and necessary and wanted, that that comes with anything that's new, having to continuously prove the validity of something. I'm probably gonna be pretty delicate with this. It still is very challenging. I think we both have a lot of empathy for people that don't fall in love with this approach because it is different. It is radically different from the way things have been done. I mean, these ideas have been talked about for a long time. It's not like anything new was created. It would just put something into practice. And I think for a lot of people, like it's scary. They might not want their teaching to look like this. You know, you and your classmates all last year, we had people in our classroom all the time and the feedback has been overwhelmingly positive. There still is resistance. And for some reason, it seems to be getting stronger. Right. And Oh, sorry. Oh, okay. I heard something. <laughs> it's probably the voice in my head. <laughs> Still there, huh? Yeah. We talk about like teachers are resistant and unwilling to accept this new type of teaching method, but I'm guessing you grew up with the old educational model, you know, the mountains of worksheets, listening to lectures, information going through one year and coming out the other. But being so used to this style of learning, what made you realize that it needs to change? And wh why do you believe in these contemporary teaching methods so much? I think a lot of what we believe in goes back to us being athletes, loving the team dynamic, trying new things, striving to be better. We both also appreciate the large world around us. We like exploring new things. We like going to new places. I think that aside from our own 
maybe personal academic experiences, all of our other life experiences perfectly prepared us for a class like this. It was something exciting and new that I definitely wanted to be a part of. But I, I will go back to this to the part you said about like my experience in high school. I, I think my teachers that I had in high school made me what I am because I did not want to be anything like them at all. School was awful. I, I actually have a best friend who just went separate ways and I haven't seen him for 20 years until like a couple years ago. And we both end up teaching philosophy. We both end up being high school teachers. And our main reason for getting into teaching was we just sat through such horrible classes and teachers and the dittos and the worksheets. We really liked the idea of education. We loved college. College was good. But what if we just did it differently? That's really fuel for me. I remember I have one teacher. She's probably not alive now, but rest in peace, Miss Mauser. But anyway, it was American literature course. The first day she had us read the first chapter of Huck Finn. We came back and she's like, okay, let's have a discussion. We didn't understand it. There was no prep or anything. So she goes, I knew it. I knew it. You guys are too stupid to read this book. We're just going to watch the movies for all the novels for the rest of the year. And we're like, yes, this is awesome. But just the fact that she would give up like that. Once again, I, at the time, I didn't care. But once I became a teacher, that like really, really bothered me. Like she had no interest in making students care about learning. The last five years, especially in education, have changed so much. Every other type of institution, organization, business in the world, things are changing because of technology and other factors. It's really a great time to be an educator. Hopefully we look back at this moment and say this is kind of where we began this shift. And it's going to take a while, but but I think it's happening now and it's really invigorating. When you talked about progress, I'm just thinking about how it must be hard to see progress when teachers don't let them experiment and figure out who they are and what they're good at. I think a lot of parents, my friends, my classmates, all they talk about is progress. Like, are you learning anything? They ask teachers like, oh, do you see a significant progress since the beginning of the year? And it's really hard to see the progress when you only test like one skill, like mental agility in regular classes. But is there a noticeable difference in the students' progress throughout the school year compared to your regular classes? It's difficult to measure in some ways because, well, for one, like GSD compared to like a normal freshman English class, it's a year along with the same group of students. The assignments that we've created for GSD, the projects have been scaffolded in a really intentional way to get you to a certain skill at the end. So you've had so many opportunities to practice something by the end of a year long course that it's almost not fair to compare the progress. I want to say yes, that there is more progress, but maybe it's just because it's defined in a different way. The competencies allow us to see pretty tremendous progress because there's no fixed time limit. And so we can give students multiple opportunities to succeed, just kind of reimagining what assessment is. So I think that's going to be our biggest question and challenge for the future is measuring progress because that is what teaching is. Teaching is measuring your progress. If you teach students math concepts and then you test them on it, one teacher does it one way, the average score is an 84, another teacher does it another way and the average score is a 90. You then should look at the instructional methods and be like, okay, we need to make some adjustments. It's not as easy with project-based classes to have that concrete data, those numbers that say this is good, this is not. So that'll be a great opportunity and challenge for us to assess not only our student progress, but our performance as teachers. You still get a grade for GSD, but is it difficult to assess 
progress with projects i think a lot of parents are like how do you grade how how is it fair they talk about fairness and to me regular classes are less fair than this but there's still this idea that it's not fair because it's more based on observing but how do you do it an interesting thing for students parents and teachers to see because i think you hit upon a really really important point here aria one of the most exciting times for us as gsd teachers is we come together with a student project or a piece of writing and we look at it as a team i still think that there is this view and i don't blame people for having it is that a teacher's like oh you get an a good job or you get a c bad job whatever i mean we're using these rubrics we talk about it what do they mean you know we constantly go over student work so that we can be as objective as possible when it comes to this is this quality level of work here's something more middle of the road and here's something that needs a lot of improvement in the end we do have to put letters and attach them to those levels of performance but we're constantly gauging monitoring how we're evaluating student work so we can be more accurate and precise with it. And so students can then look at that rubric and do it themselves, right? If you're doing these things and you can demonstrate it, then you're gonna do well. But we need to have that conversation more with parents because I think all of us are rooted in an older system where this still feels very kind of flimsy and foreign. In reality, at least from our end, it's so much more structured and solid than a more traditional class. It's constant conferencing with students and it's constant messaging to an entire group about what our expectations are, but also to individuals. And, you know, we have so many conferences with individuals so they can see, okay, this is where you were two days ago. These are the changes that you've made. And this is the progress that you've made. This is what you still need to do. And that kind of attention, there's not a lot of time for it built into a more traditional class. Vera and I go through all of these assignments together and we have both changed how we approach projects and how we give comments. And I think that we've grown a lot and become a lot more empathetic to, again, the student experience. We have to agree on where a student's at and the student needs to be part of that conversation as well. So it's a really collaborative process. My bio class was a competency-based class. And then all of a sudden, when I go to chemistry, it's not. And I asked the teacher, why isn't chemistry competency? And he goes, I didn't want to change it. So do you get a choice to switch your class to competencies? Because I know Panaho is trying to implement a lot of competency-based classes, but to me and to a lot of students, it seemed like it's so inconsistent that I'm wondering if it's the teachers that get to choose or not. Good question. Uh, my knowledge, it's a sub-department decision. It makes sense to start with those changes at like a freshman, sophomore level, but it should be a sub-department decision so that there is to some degree an equity of experience. Like if you're in one chemistry section with one teacher, it's not wildly different than somebody else's, but it does require a certain level of buy-in from all of the teachers. It requires training. You can't rush this. You have to be trained in like a professional learning community where you're constantly working with teachers on instruction, assessment. I think we're at a really interesting place right now because I think more and more people are interested in competency-based learning, um, but it requires A, buy-in, and then B, a lot of time. If you don't know what it's about and you don't give it enough resources and professional development and training on it, then I don't think it's fair to the teacher or the student. It's really interesting to hear about your experience. I don't think anybody wants students to feel like they're the guinea pigs in a grand experiment. <laughs> 
speaking of guinea pigs, a lot of parents are uncomfortable with classes like GSD because they don't want their children to be guinea pigs. What do you think parents and teachers should consider when embracing these new pedagogies? Like, why is it so worth it? I think what Kunaho did right was GSD in this respect. A lot of the other competency courses weren't given the same time or preparation. The difference with GSD, and I think why Punaho did an excellent job with this, was that teachers were given a year to prep and design. Students could opt in right? You signed up to take a course like this. So it wasn't like you just showed up and like, oh, by the way, we're doing an experiment on you. We still have students who are like, what is this? And we're like, well, you signed up and, you, and they still kind of don't know why we're doing it this way. And that's something we've got to kind of fix. I'm proud of the fact that Punaho created this pilot program. We said, hey, we're going to test this out. But if you want to be part of it, this is what we're doing. And we had over 188 students sign up for these types of courses. For the most part, nearly every parent I talk to will talk about what we do. I ask them because I'm really curious, like what skills do you need to be good at your job? A lot of them are leaders, managers, vice presidents, presidents, whatever. Like I need people that can work with other people. I need them to be able to collaborate. I need them to be able to think critically and be creative in their thinking to solve problems. I need them to engage in different perspectives. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm actually teaching a class that <laughs> tries to teach these skills specifically. The funny thing is I think we're stealing from the business world, computers, technology, where innovation is taking place. We're definitely stealing and borrowing from kind of those skill sets that we know makes people successful. One of the homework assignments we started doing because of last year, we made kids go home now and like ask their parents what makes you successful at your job to help them understand competencies and the kids come back they're like yeah you guys were right you got to work together well with people right otherwise you won't be successful so i think intuitively parents know that this is what they want their children to learn as a school and as teachers we could probably do a better job messaging what we're trying to do we're having to not only teach students this but i also think to your point we also have to do a better job of teaching parents about this approach all of this is rooted in student choice so this class doesn't have to be for everyone. But the point is, is that students should have a choice in, you know, what they want their learning to look like. So it doesn't have to be for everybody, but for the kids who want it, it should be an option for them. Just going off of all of the things Vieira said, yes, our messaging needs to be crystal clear to parents and students, but it needs to be clear because they need to understand that there's not just one way to do something and this is an alternative and it's something that people can explore if they want to. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much for lending me some of your nuggets of knowledge and meeting with me. This is going to be fun to edit. Are you using the video too? Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. It's, I'm so using iMovie, so I hope it treats me well. <laughs> uh, insane. It's always a pleasure. Always. I love speaking to them because you can tell that they're so passionate about teaching and I hope that the class expands so that more students can experience the projects and the learning that happens in there. I also want to give my little sister credit because she's been working on the tech. I still need to learn. I can only do iMovie. Um, but next week we will be speaking with Susanna Johnson who creates personalized curriculums for her students. And now I have to go study for my math final because it's 10 p.m. and um, I don't really know the material. Bye. <laughs>